This episode of the Model Railway Show is made possible with the support of the National Model Railroad Association. With one of the world's largest railroad libraries at your fingertips, we make it even more fun. Show. I'm Trevor Marshall. And I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for joining us. If you're new to our show, welcome aboard. If you're a long-timer, thanks for hanging with us. On today's show, we're going to have a professional railroader, Dave Arnovitz. Later on, he's going to tell us how the big boys copied what we do for a change. But first, we say hi to the president. No, not that guy. The other president. The one who heads up the NMRA, the ever-affable Charlie Getz. Take it away, Jim. Thanks, Trevor. Charlie Getz was elected the new president of the National Model Railroad Association this past summer at their yearly convention in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we thought it was time we spoke to him before he gets too superannuated or supersaturated or superheated or whatever happens. Readers of the Narrow Gauge and Shortline Gazette will know Charlie's name from his regular Narrow Gauge scene columns. Charlie is busy with a lot of stuff these days, including an exciting new model railroad museum in California. We'll get to that on the next show, but right now he's speaking to us from Hawaii. Hawaii, the lucky guy. What are you doing in Hawaii, Charlie? I actually have a property here, and we're just trying to make sure that the roof is still attached. So <laughs> come over a couple of times a year for that purpose. Well, great. Before we get into the formalities, a couple of my modeling buddies asked me to say hi to you. Pete Moffat in St. Catharines and Fred Heaton in Winnipeg, who's on your oh, yeah, BOD. Both, so, yeah. both great people. Fred, yeah. of course, is our yeah. new Canadian representative on the BOD, doing a great job. Excellent. Known yeah. Pete for many years. Great narrow-gauge guy. Well, welcome to the show, Charlie. Have you been stoking fires at the NMRA or putting them out? Luckily, not putting any out yet, but trying to certainly successfully, I hope, get some things stoked up and working. We're doing that. We're making great progress already. What are the biggies on your to-do list? Well, there are a couple of things. Number one, modernizing the corporate side of our organization, which means simplifying a lot of the regulations and bylaws that are necessary because we are a United States nonprofit corporation. Improving communication, modernizing that. Things like Facebook, Twitter, which we haven't really had a presence. We have an exciting new web presence that is being improved almost every day. That's an important one. And also also trying to streamline the organization so our local and all important divisions and regions work better with national and often are not at loggerheads as occurs all too much in the past. So let's take some of these. You want to simplify the organizational structure of the NMRA. Any thoughts specifically on how you go about that, what you want to do oh, sure. and how to do it? By profession, I was an attorney practicing with the California Attorney General for over 38 years, and that comes in handy because of the fact that we are a not-for-profit corporation under our internal revenue, I guess you guys call it what, inland revenue? In- well, I call it Revenue Canada. We actually call it something else. We call it you're a lot right, of names, yeah. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's universal. Yeah. Anywhere in the world, you're going to call it something else. We have certain rules and requirements to meet because of that, and that's what creates this misapprehension or misimpression that the NMRA is a, quote, political body, close quote. Well, it's not. It's a hobby association. But as a hobby association, we have to still meet these corporate requirements. Now, what we've done in the past is we built upon what was written back in 1935 when we started. And over the years, that has become an unwieldily thick volume of requirements that is better suited to a governmental bureau or agency than it would be a hobby association. So what I'm doing with the committee is working on taking these convoluted principles and simplifying them. Is that anything that affects the general hobbyist, the member of the NMRA, or is this just a way of making life simpler for the... uh... Well, it's both. It it doesn't really affect the life, but the thicker the binder, (laughs) the more people (laughs) don't focus on the 
message, but on the thickness. They look at this and they go, what is this all about? And rightly so. This is a hobby association. And how many people ever say that? The NMRA is a hobby association. I never hear that, but that's what it is. It's promoting. It's improving. It's doing all we can to make model railroading an educational and enjoyable experience. That's what we do. And that gets lost sometimes in the shuffle of, gee, do we have three widgets on the left column or four widgets on the right column? And that's where people fixate. They get all upset because we have these procedures that sometimes can be so convoluted that they must be interpreted and then everybody has to you know, get upset because of the interpretation. Now what I'm trying to do is not get rid of those because any volunteer organization needs a manual of operation so everybody knows kind of what's expected. But I'm certainly trying to put it back into the King's English and certainly trying to make it a little more simplified so that we don't have the structure that would be required for a governmental agency, for example, where you must have all of these incredible regulations. We don't have that requirement. So that's what I'm working on. And I think we can do that quite easily, to be honest with you. Is the complexity just in the words, or are you constantly trying to manage how many people are on board to make this work? uh, Our convention, our national convention, is defined as a specific time of year. must be held between this date and that date. The board meeting must be held on this date of that convention. It's that kind of minute and detail. And the way lawyers will often do things is, ironically, to simplify it. In other words, each year the NMRA shall hold a national convention, a time to be selected by the BOD, period. That's the way I would put it, but mm-hmm. not the National Model Railroad Association annual convention shall be held no earlier than May 15th, no later than August 25th. You know, that's what it's written now. <laughs> and there was a reason for that, and the reason was very good, and that was not to create conflicts between the national convention and most of the regional conventions. So sometime 20, 30, 40 years ago, someone sat down and said, you know, there aren't any regional conventions during the time period of June 28th to August 4th. Let's do our national then. Oh, perfect. So they wrote a regulation for it. And that's an example of good intentions, but now it becomes hidebound. If you wanted to have it a day after the regulation allows, you can't do it because it's violating the regulation. I guess of necessity back then, Charlie, uh, you were communicating through snail mail or very expensive long distance, right? That's exactly the reason. And everything had to be written down in minute detail because you had no instant communication. You had no need for flexibility because it was more important to have certainty than flexibility. Well, by writing a regulation that says each year a national convention shall be held, in fact, I wouldn't even write that. I'd just say a uh, national convention shall be held at such time and place as the BOD directs, period. It gives you the flexibility and it gives you the ability to avoid those conflicts just in your planning process, not in your regulatory process. Okay. So that's just one example. There's a multitude of that thing okay. in there. So are you the legal legal of ferreting out all the weasel words, or do you yourself have to find lawyers to help you? Well, we have a lawyer. We have a guy named Bob Amsler who is a Missouri lawyer. We've just now reincorporated from Ohio, which is one of our states, to Missouri because of a better corporate structure in that state. And so this is a perfect time because we have to overhaul everything for that new Missouri requirements. So this gives us a wonderful opportunity. So I'm taking first crack. It's vetted by the committee. Then Bob Amsler gets the final chew on it because he's our official attorney. I think you started out as a model railroader, huh? Well, model railroaders need structure. (laughs) Yeah, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) There's lots of books out there about how you build a model railroad, and they don't start with, you know, uh, turn on the power and watch your engine run. They'll start with bench work, (laughs) (laughs) followed by track. Well, I think you alluded alluded to this. We still hear people bad-mouthing the NMRA as a top-heavy, top-down 
uh, kind of thing. When you encounter that kind of resistance, what do you tell people? Well, I tell people that it's a hobby association. And again, I don't want to overuse this, but I, I want your listeners to think about this. Because when I hear about people say, well, we don't need an NMRA anymore. What good does it do? I'm thinking, that's the wrong question. What harm does it do? <laughs> well, <laughs> this is a so, hobby association, yeah. <laughs> guys. You know, I know it's the world's greatest hobby, but I'm seriously going to pen an editorial saying it's just a effing hobby. Now, I don't mean that in a bad way, but get over the fact that this is some kind of parliament or congress. This is a hobby association, <laughs> and we're supposed to be promoting model railroading, and we do a damn good job of that, and we do a great job of educating, and we do a fabulous, in fact, the only job in the world of setting standards, which are absolutely necessary. So to say, you know, the NMRA, blah, 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 we don't need them anymore. There was a fellow in the turn of the 20th century in our U.S. patent office, this is true, who seriously wrote a memo suggesting the Patent and Trademark Office of the United States be eliminated. This is like 1899 or 1901 or somewhere around there, because, quote, everything of value has been invented, close quote. Huh. In other words, well, we don't need a patent office. My gosh, what could they possibly come up with? Well, I've heard that with the NMRA. Oh, we got DCC. What else is there? Well, there's uh, NMRA Net, I guess, isn't there? There's NMRA Net. Yeah, there's a good example. You want to uh, talk about that? Well, NMRA Net is a good one, and there's an article, I think, in our last issue of the NMRA magazine, for those who don't get it, you shouldn't, which explains and I still don't understand it. At our meeting, I, I call better. it Brio. What I want is Brio Net, you know, B-R-I-O, Brio. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, I thought, well, if you had Brio Net, I can understand that. But you know, Charlie, we're not going to hold your feet to the fire because Trevor was talking to Don Goodman Wilson about the NMRA Net. My question, I guess, was more about telling people why the NMRA is still needed. This is the next well, big it, thing yeah. they have to tackle, isn't it? Do the, well, uh, NMRA Net is so exciting to me because it basically does everything that you want to do on a layout in a much more simple way and in a uniform way, like DCC does for your promotion. But there's something even more exciting coming down the road, and that's called power on board. And I've seen that technology, and it's not there yet for the smaller scales, but it's there for O scale yeah. and above. And that is self-contained power units, often called the dead rail society, with no under, underline, no wiring to your track. Yes, the future is dead. The future is, right, dead. <laughs> so both of those, NMRA Net, which we have adopted standards for, and we're in the process of finalizing those, and Power on Board, which is too new to adopt standards for, those are going to require standardization so that your system will work with anyone else, as we've done or tried to do with DCC, mostly successfully, not always, and as we've done with wheels and couplers and everything else out there. And that wasn't just accidental. I mean, uh, Markland shows that if you don't have a standardization program, everybody's going to go proprietary. Yeah. You know, the Markland mm -hmm. uh, HO system was AC, and then you can't run it with anyone no, else, exactly. and that's the way they are. Yeah. That is not acceptable to us as a hobby association. And as long as technology develops and it's being driven by where I live, mostly Silicon Valley, we will benefit from that technology. Yeah. And we need an association that has the clout and the credibility to set standards. And we, frankly, are it. And again, what else are you excited about? Well, things like improved web presence, mm -hmm. uh, that, oh, yeah. that's kind of neat. We're going to be on Facebook and Twitter. We are technically, but we're going to improve that. I'm not on either, so I'm going to have to learn also. Uh, we have a fellow named Ben Severe who's out of the Pacific Southwest region. He owns a company that does major web work for corporations, and he's a volunteer for us, and he's running our web program, and he's running all of our IT. You couldn't hire a guy like this. We could never afford him, but he's terrific. So he is working with some great volunteers and improving as a comprehensive look at all of our electronic communication. We're also going to be hopefully introducing something called the e-bulletin, which is going to be a newsletter, which is only issued electronically to those who may not get our magazine, which I think is a shame, but those who don't, and 
for those who want uh, information about the association on a more timely basis. And that will be hopefully available starting sometime next year. So that's one thing we're very excited about. It is a great magazine, by the way. Frankly, it's worth joining just to get the magazine. Yeah, I agree. It's a great magazine. And our magazine has a different slant than other magazines out there because I've heard that. Well, I get MR. Why do I need yours? Ours not only wraps in news of the association and breaking news about new developments, more importantly, it ties what we do to the article. So if you have an article on building a layout, it tells you about the use of NMRA products like our gauges and things and how master model railroaders do things. We're going to be starting an Ask the Masters program, which will be available only to members. If you come up on a problem with your layout building, you can pick up the phone, you can better yet get on the web, and you can ask a question, and an MMR is going to answer that question for you and help you out. Something else that occurs to me is you offer insurance for people opening their homes for layout tours, for example. Yes, we do. If you are a part of a uh, NMRA-sanctioned event, Mm -hmm. in other words, your division is having layout tours, your region is having a convention, and you're open for that, your homeowner's policy, and I don't know about Canada, but here in the lower 48 with the the two attached, your homeowner's policy does not cover that kind of a thing. It's considered commercial. But our NMRA policy does cover that. So you are covered. And that has happened. We've had one person who filed a claim against the homeowner and the NMRA because they tripped on stairs and broke their leg or something. And it was handled very, very fairly and everybody was happy. So that is a huge benefit, which people don't realize about. And our 100% club's benefit is even better. And that is if your club has 100% NMRA membership, we offer liability insurance that is a fraction of what you would get out in the commercial market for your club. Do you have any specific outreach plans for attracting new members? We have a new marketing department, which has started just as I took office. There are already some very, very, very exciting ideas. I wish I could talk about them, but they're being developed. Uh, One of them I can mention is kind of a tease is a membership discount program. So if you want to go to certain big box stores, not hobby shops, but certain big box stores and buy things to build layouts, you might get a contractor's discount because you're an NMRA member. Let's just take that as an example. Museums, rail-oriented parks and things that have a mission fees, we might get a discount for that if you're an NMRA member. So that's one thing. We're doing all we can to reach out to those who are not NMRA members to explain that joining the NMRA isn't just a matter of what do I get for my money. It's a matter of supporting the only worldwide organization that is out there helping you become a better model railroader and helping you enjoy the hobby. And we're hoping you want to give back by supporting what we do, just like you support the Red Cross or you support other groups. Charlie, you're making it very hard for people to find a reason not to uh, join the NMRA. Well, they seem to. I don't know how they do it, but they (laughs) do find it. And I lift the hat to all the folks at the NMRA. You've mentioned all of the skill sets that make this work. It really is a very deep skill set and very impressive. I think we've run out of about all the time we've got here today, Charlie. All right. But again, I've been speaking with Charlie Getz, president of the National Model Railroad Association. Thanks for joining us here today, Charlie. And you're going to be around the next show because we want to talk about that other big exciting project ahead of you, the magic of Scale Model Railroading Museum in Sacramento. So we'll see you then. I will be delighted. Thank you so much. Okay. Charlie Getz, thanks. No doubt about it, Charlie has a lot on his plate. Don't they all? And at the risk of repeating myself, I'm impressed with the depth of skill sets that the NMRA has on its executive. You bet. Charlie can certainly steer the ship through the legal shoals, can't he? Yeah. Fun interview for me, by the way. It's not every day I get to grill an attorney. Well, Trevor and I try to give you the best show we can here at the Model Railway Show, and thanks to our buddy Otto Vondrack, that starts with a great website. When you visit, be sure to use it to its maximum potential. Connect to all the links we provide. Visit our Flickr photo gallery. Also access 
previous shows you may have missed. They're all archived, the newest ones here, the earlier ones with our good friends at trainlife.com. Well, it's Trevor's turn now as he speaks with a big-time railroader who utilizes little trains, not for hobby purposes, but as a teaching device. Those who want to duplicate real operation on their layouts know that one of the best ways to do this is to watch the pros, from a safe distance, of course. Here at the Model Railway Show, we frown upon trespassing onto the railways, but there are plenty of public vantage points from which we can watch professional railroaders at work. Another way to learn the ropes is to invite a professional railroader to an operating session. Those who work on trains for a living often approach tasks on a layout in a very different way from us amateurs. Many of us never even think of things such as crew safety, proper procedures for coupling and uncoupling, and the amount of walking needed to get the job done. But these issues and more are second nature to the men and women who do this day in and day out. But even they had to start somewhere. And since the small stuff is a whole lot safer, there's a long history of railroads using train sets as training tools for everything from learning switching to understanding signaling and dispatching. Recently, I was talking to Mark Olston, a friend and fellow hobbyist. Mark and a friend of his, Greg Rich, built a switching layout for Norfolk Southern Corp. The layout features two identical yards, which allows teams of railroaders to compete against each other. We'll have links to the plan and some photos of the layout, so be sure to check out the guide for this episode on our website, themodelrailwayshow.com. I thought it would be neat to get the railroad's perspective on this, on the relationship between models and the big stuff. Therefore, I'm pleased to welcome Dave Arnovitz to the Model Railway Show. Dave is a terminal superintendent for Norfolk Southern Corp., and he's on the phone from Detroit. Dave, thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. Now, how did the project come about? Can you tell me how you got started doing this? Sure. Let me just give you a quick background. Every year, Norfolk Southern has a banquet that honors the safest and most efficient railroaders on our system. This particular year that Mark and Greg built this display for us, it was in Norfolk, Virginia. Basically, Norfolk Southern consists of three regions and 11 different operating divisions. Each division is charged with coming up with a display for this banquet the night before. We call it our Service and Safety Expo. And it's up to each division to come up with some concept to demonstrate service and safety. And it's kind of a hands-on kind of thing. The limit is the limit of your creativity. So our safety committee here in Detroit came up with this idea that we would try and find someone to build us a professional HO set with mirrored operating plans where we could have an engineer and a conductor on one team and another engineer and conductor on the other, and they'd be given two minutes to perform some basic switching moves to get an engine out of the house, couple up to some cars, and deliver them to our customer. Now, we didn't do this just because everybody wants to run the train, which they do, but we wanted to demonstrate a very important safety concept in the transportation industry, and that is job safety briefings. We basically do them four times during our tour of duty. When you first come to work, when the work changes, if the work becomes confusing, and most importantly, if there's some type of rule violation being observed by the crew member, we stop and do another job briefing. Well, our idea here was to get this concept of job safety briefings to not just the T&E folks who already get it, But the transportation department only represents roughly one-third of all the employers that Norfolk Southern has. But if your paycheck says Norfolk Southern, you have something to do with the delivery of that rail car to our customers on the right day, at the right time, at the right spot, and at the right cost. 
So we wanted to make sure everybody understood how important this concept was. And the neat thing about this was most of our employees don't understand all of the operating rules because they're not in the field. So we thought that we would demonstrate this concept of job safety briefings by first giving them a three-minute introduction, not just how to operate the equipment, but how to operate it according to our safety and operating rules, which we displayed in a huge roll-down of the rules they needed to follow. Most important one is our operating rule 109, which is to operate safely and efficiently. We gave them two minutes. They had to get an engine out of a house, bring it out, couple of some cars, then place some cars at the industry, following all of our rules. That was the concept. And we could only really pull it off if we had a model set that was so realistic. So Greg and Mark actually came to the yard and duplicated a lot of the buildings that we had, the vehicles that we drove, the track layout, and it was so realistic, I was just so impressed. And they did it in less than two months, from nothing to the concept to the construction of the table, which had to be highly portable because we took this all over the Norfolk Southern system. And they got it done ahead of schedule. Very, very impressive, folks. That's excellent. Now, how did you get in touch with them? I had to cast a pretty wide net because we knew that we could build our own set, but without any experience, it would look very good. And presentation is just as important as the concept. So I put out some feelers, and I did hook up with a lot of people who wanted to do this for us. But I found two folks, Mark and Greg, who not only had the expertise, but had a burning desire to really help us out. And the only caveat they had was when it was all said and done, if they could borrow it at any time. And of course, we said we'd be more than happy to do that. But understand, they not only had to build this layout, and it had to be identical, but it didn't look identical when you looked at it, but operationally it was. They also had to design it so we could tear it down and put it in what we'd call a casket, which they also designed. So the board actually consisted of two doors that we purchased, and they put them together with alignment pins, and it slid onto a table, which was highly stabilized. And when it was all done, it took less than three minutes to unplug everything, pull the tabletops apart, and slide them into this casket on two levels. They designed the box, they designed the table, and they designed the layout. To this day, I'm just in awe of how intricate it was and how reliable it was and how realistic it looked. It does allow for competitions between two teams of employees. You've described what the objective is and how safety is paramount on this, but how do those competitions work? Is it to see who can get it done the fastest in the safest manner, or what's the idea of having two going? You know, generally we don't want our employees to rush, but because there was over 800 people that were going to utilize this display in just three hours, we set a two-minute time limit. Now, they weren't necessarily racing against each other, They were basically racing against the clock. They had two minutes to perform a set of maneuvers that were clearly laid out on cards, but most importantly covered in the job briefing before it began. And as long as they were able to perform all of the tasks necessary in the allotted time without any damage or derailing the equipment, they would get the grand prize, which happened to be a very big, heavy ceramic tumbler wrapped in leather with the Norfolk Southern and the Lake Division logo embossed on it. Everybody wanted them. They're really heavy, too, and they keep your drinks really hot. That was the grand prize, and we probably passed out over 600 of those in three hours. 
people were really successful. And it was attributed to two things, a great job safety briefing and a display that Greg and Mark put together that was so reliable and so foolproof that it just worked out great. The crowds loved it. Not only did 800 people operate the equipment, but there was hundreds and hundreds that stayed crowded around the display while people performed their mission. We also had taken big color photographs of people actually performing those tasks out in the field of our own employees. So that was the backdrop, the pictures of uh, Norfolk Southern training engine employees performing that work. And then in the middle was the list of all of the rules that they had to follow, which include sounding the bell and the horn before they moved the engine, one of our rules. So everybody had a great time with that. It sounds like everybody loved it, but did you get any specific comments or feedback from this? And I'm really interested to hear what the people who did displays from the other divisions had to say about it. We were recognized unofficially as having the best display not only because it looked good, but we took the concept of our safety and service banquet and put it to use. In other words, we were not just, you know, some folks do little different things, like some people throw basketballs and little putty greens and horseshoes, and some, our IT department set up some computers and gave out quizzes about safety. But I think we did the best job of taking the safety and service and implementing that into a display that not only looked good, but served a really good purpose as to showing how important job safety briefings are. So when you do it well, people, even who are unfamiliar with the task at hand, knew not only how to operate the equipment by manipulating the controls, but by following the safety rules. So we were the hands-down favorites of it, and, of course, based on the crowds and people waiting, we knew that people always want to run the train, right? I mean, that's why we're all into model railroading. Everybody wants to run the train. So we knew that would be fun. But we were surprised at how many people wanted to be the conductor because they got to manipulate the switches and basically gave the engineer his instructions. The engineer basically manipulated the controls, but the conductor was the thinking part of the whole thing. And it went over hugely. And we not only took it there, but we also took it to Atlanta at our headquarters down there for the employees to use. And then we have family days at all kinds of locations over the system. And we had so many requests to pack up this display and take it to family days where kids could play with it. And, you know, kids love model railroading, and they got to also take part in all the fun. And the most amazing part was we not only able to educate people and they had a good time, but the equipment never once failed. And I'll tell you what, Mark and Greg did such a great job. And has it made it all the way across the Norfolk Southern system now? Or? Yeah, we've taken it down as far south as Atlanta, as far north, of course, as Detroit and everywhere in between. But eventually, the year came to an end, and we put it back in its casket, and we wondered what we were going to do with it next. But the Dearborn Division, which is right adjacent to the lake, and matter of fact, their headquarters is only five minutes from my office, wanted to know if they could use that display for a training center that was constructed, and that is an integral part of it, and now it's used to train new conductors. They go through a five-month training period, and they get hands-on experience on how to operate our equipment according to the rules, and it's safe and it's efficient kind of stuff they have to do. And so now it's used almost daily as a training tool. So do you see a need for more of these? Maybe other divisions of Norfolk Southern looking to get one of these done as well? Each division is charged now with building their own training center. 
And it's up to each training coordinator from each division as to how he wants to put his training center together. But uh, Shane Steele, who's the training coordinator in the Dearborn division, put together probably the best training center I've seen yet. Some are still under construction. And so I think they're all going to adopt some form of a railroad layout so people can put their hands on the equipment and understand how important it is to follow all of the operating and safety rules to prevent any bad outcomes. And this is where I can tell you that the Norfolk Southern has had the safest operation for 23 consecutive years. And through the use of this tool and others, we know we will continue to be the leaders in safety for many, many years to come. I did notice when I looked at the pictures of this that many of the freight cars on the layout are models of Norfolk Southern equipment. I also see some cars from other railroads too. But I noted that the freight cars from the other lines tend to be a lot grimier than the Norfolk Southern equipment. Is that just a coincidence? Absolutely true. And you know, that is a testament to Mark and Greg's ability to take a rail car and make it look like it's 20 years old. It was just fantastic. And I'm glad they used that talent on other carriers' cars as opposed to ours, because ours actually are pretty pristine. Our engines look brand new, and we try to keep our car fleet up. So that was just an extension of our philosophy. And through their help, they were able to take brand new rolling stock and make it look pretty old and rusty. And by extension, make your stuff look really good. Absolutely, just like it's in real life. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, well, listen, Dave, this has been terrific. Thanks for coming on the Model Railway Show to talk about the layout and how it's being used. Not a problem. And I just can't say enough about Mark and Greg. True professionals made us look like heroes. And, you know, it's easy to make stuff look good, but it's hard to make stuff look good and last. They did both, and they did it in unbelievable record time. They're going to love hearing that. They're going to be busy building layouts for everybody now. (laughs) Indeed, they will. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. Thanks, guys. What a great idea and what a good-looking layout. Connect to the link, folks. It's there for the viewing. Yes, and I just want to give a special shout-out to Mark Olston, who put us on to this story. Mark and his friend Greg Rich were the two people who built that layout. Well done, guys. And, yes, we're all jealous that you're now on Norfolk Southern's favorite list and you get to go visit the guys anytime you want. You wake up a model railroader, you go to bed a full-time, big-time railroader. Maybe you do. They did. They did. I guess they did, yes. They're having a great time going out to the yards and visiting. They're now like celebrities at Norfolk Southern. So at least that's what I'm told. Now, if anyone from Norfolk Southern is listening and they say, who are these guys? Well, you better get in touch with Dave Arnovitz and find out. Before we get out of here, we'd like to remind you that you can find us on Facebook or better yet, sign up for a free podcast subscription. Catch us on iTunes, podcast.com and podfeed.net and you'll never miss an episode. On our next Fun toss, I'll have Charlie Getz back to talk about how you can help with an exciting new model railroad museum. And my special guest will be Doug Gurren, founder of the Layout Design Special Interest Group. We can't leave without thanking the rest of the crew. Well, we could, but it would be rude. Dave Woodhead for the music. Visit his website. It's full of trains and music. Speaking of websites, we again thank Otto Vondrak for ours. And cheers to our fellow modeling buddy Chris Abbott for his technical assistance. For Trevor Marshall, I'm Jim Martin. Thanks for joining us here on the Model Railway Show. Thank you.